Episode 101 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. Suppression is now their strategy. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the vote. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So Biden got over 100 million Americans vaccinated for COVID-19. I am not one of them yet. I do not have any comorbidities and I am still young. I'm under 50. New York's actually opening it up to people 50 and above this week. So that's great. Uh, I guess I'll be in the next tranche. I'm in my 40s. So I hope I'm in the next tranche. I want to get... I want to get vaccinated. I want to be done with this. Uh, I'm ready to, just like all of you, I'm ready to be done with all of this and move on. But 100 million plus Americans vaccinated in 58 days. Uh, the former guy, you know, his plan was just to yell at people to see if they would get things done. No actual strategy. The Biden administration actually put out guidelines and set goals and targets, and they're meeting them. And I think that. It's not out of the question, the way things are ramping up, that 200 million Americans will be vaccinated by his first 100 days. I mean, I, I, I can't believe like I'm like literally I must be like on the, the last person on the list. Everybody I know. Oh, I'm a teacher. I teach at college and I am uh, vaccinated. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, everybody I know. I, I just I'm, I have no, you know, I have no comor- comorbidities. I'm not a frontline worker. Um, and New York State is is slowly lowering the age. Some states have opened it up to everybody, and that's great. And I think that, you know, seeing all these places pop up here uh, in New York where you can get vaccinated, uh, it, it's just great. Uh, it's great. People are doing it. They're being healthy. It's fantastic. So I'm opening the show on a high note, even though I want to talk about voter suppression and then I'm going to be talking with uh, the great Jill Weinbanks, uh, who has been on the show before, and we've got a lot to talk about, a lot of, a lot of legal things going on, um, you know, uh, and, and I'm definitely going to talk to her about that. I did not talk to her after the 60-minute in- interview that aired on Sunday, where the chief you know, law enforcement officer from D.C. was basically calling it sedition and planning, and I don't know that he should be out there talking like that. Uh, this early in a case, it kind of made me uncomfortable. I would have loved to talk to Jill about that. So I guess I'll have to wait till the next time I talk to her. I talked to her uh, uh, on uh, on my radio show last week. So you'll have to uh, 
bear with that not being in it. But let you know, let's just talk about for a, a brief minute. You know, HR one and HR fifty one are both working their way through Congress. Obviously, HR one passed the House; it's going to be taken up in the Senate. Um, it includes the uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act which would expand the franchise, not contrast it, and make sure people have the opportunity to vote, Uh, making Election Day a a national holiday so people get the day off from work, Uh, making it, you know, easier to do vote by mail, encouraging states to do vote by mail. You know, I'm, I'm a believer that voting shouldn't take longer than ordering a pizza. States should guarantee their constituents that they will be able to vote in 30 minutes or less. Now, we know why that doesn't happen, and we know which neighborhoods they don't allow that to happen in, particularly in conservative states. We know why. They don't want minorities and people of color and students to vote because they know how they're going to vote, and they are not going to vote for these old-timey hypocrites who want to pledge allegiance to a flag but don't really believe in what it stands for. They get all upset, you know, when Colin Kaepernick takes a knee during the during the national anthem, but they have no respect for our Constitution, what our founders wanted, and what has evolved in this country over the past 240 years to expand the rights of people to vote and how important that is. What's going on in Georgia, where they are going to try to severely limit early voting, taking away Sunday voting. They are also going to limit mail-in voting by ending no-excuse absentee voting in, in Georgia. And they're going to make it a crime. If, you know, if you're standing in a 14-hour voting line in Georgia because they know what neighborhood you live in and they know how you're going to vote so they don't have enough voting equipment there and the equipment they send you breaks down so you're waiting hours on hours on end to vote. A lot of uh, pro-democracy groups, let's just call it that because that's what it is, pro-democracy to help people vote, will hand out water and snacks so that you're not like standing there. You know, sometimes it gets, sometimes it's hot in Georgia in November. Sometimes, you know, especially in the primaries, it's hot in Georgia. You're waiting in line for 14 hours. You got to pack a lunch to go vote. How about dinner too? Because you're going to be there for, you know, in some places, 12 to 14 hours. That's absurd. That's bizarre. It's cruel and unusual. And it's a blatant attempt to limit the franchise. So it's going to go over to the Senate where the Republicans are surely going to filibuster it. H.R. 1. To stop states like Georgia from passing these oppressive laws. From stop states like Iowa that are doing it. Other states around this country that are using the big lie that Donald Trump told after he lost the election, they're using his big lie to try to pass, as justification to pass these ridiculous laws, restrictions on voting. And at the same time, the census is going to come out soon and gerrymandering is going to start all over this country. Now, I call it gerrymandering for, for reasons I've discussed on this show before. His name was Elbridge Gerry, after all. Um, and that's going to happen all over this country. They, the Cook Political Report says the Republicans can pick up the majority in the House just through gerrymandering. 
Well, HR1 makes it harder to have partisan gerrymandering. I mean, this has got to stop. We have one party in this country, the Republican Party, that believes that minority rule is, 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 is okay. Believe that they should hold on to power no matter what because they're fanatics, frankly. They're cult-like. They believe that their ends justify the means, that they are right and that everybody else is wrong. And they have a large constituency of people who, whose interests they don't serve, quite frankly. These people who are celebrating the COVID relief package that gave them checks and gave them expanded um, expanded benefits for COBRA. Uh, it gave them expanded childcare credits. These are people that probably, a lot, not all of them, but a good percentage of them who are celebrating this right now did not vote for Joe Biden, probably haven't voted for a Democrat since probably Clinton. Yet they continue to vote Republican out of some weird loyalty to a party that is not loyal to them because they have been lied to, frankly, online and uh, through conservative media and, and other outlets that just bend the truth. It's a lot of nonsense is what it is. But quite frankly, there are more people in this country that would vote Democrat than would vote Republican, who would vote for progressive uh, reforms in this country than conservative nonsense, which doesn't even really exist anymore. There are more people that believe in truth over lies in this country. And the Republican Party's entire strategy right now is to suppress those people's votes any way they can, using any means necessary to, to keep whatever grip of power they have. For what reason, I don't know. They have no policies. They have no plan. Why? They want to protect Dr. Seuss? Well, the government didn't ban those books. Dr. Seuss himself, well, he's dead, his his estate that manages his collection took them out for offensive material. I'm not going to stop reading the other books, frankly. Oh, The Places You Will Go is one of my absolute favorite books. I give it to people as a gift often. I think it's an amazing book. And I also think Dr. Seuss was an amazing man who evolved over time. He's, he actually was one of the more progressive thinkers of his day. Now, I get it. That stuff in there is, is offensive and should be removed. But the Republican Party, that's their platform right now. Oh, they're removing Dr. Seuss. I was on Fox the other day. I got a little bit of uh, attention over this. The topic was, did John Kerry wear his mask on a flight? That was the topic. No joke. <laughs> okay. John Kerry, somebody took a picture of John Kerry on a flight. He, uh, a public, a regular, you know, commercial airline flight, American Airlines, I believe. And he, you saw the mask hanging off his ear. It was a snapshot. It wasn't a video. It was a snapshot. Now, let me be very clear. I am not defending that. John Kerry is a high-ranking official in the United States government, a government that is promoting mask wearing while on planes and in public places. He should have his mask on all the time as to not be photographed with the mask not on. John Kerry claims that it was only down for a minute. I believe him. I have no reason not to believe him. And quite frankly, if they had it for more than a minute, wouldn't they have taken video? That's all I'm saying. But my response was, 
you know, you have Senator Kennedy from Louisiana commenting on this before I came on the air. Um, Tucker Carlson opened his show, the number one rated show on cable. The opening story was John Kerry is a hypocrite because I have a picture of him without a mask on. So I responded, hey, you know, and, and you could Google this. It's all over the place. It made Mediate and a few other outlets, Huffington Post. Um, I respond, thank God for Joe Biden. Everything's so good. People are so happy that conservatives have nothing to talk about. They're going to make an issue out of whether or not John Kerry wore a mask. Now, for those of you who think I was banned from Fox for that, I wasn't. I was on the next day. So, uh, <laughs> you know, see if they keep me. They, they, you know, I, I've been saying things like that for years. And to their credit, they keep asking me back. But that's the thing. What are their issues, right? This is why suppression, this is, you know, I'm coming back to my topic of suppression here. This is why suppression is their only avenue for victory. They don't have anything to talk about. This this plan, this bailout, bailout plan, the, the Biden COVID-19 rescue plan, the $1.9 trillion bill, is universally popular. Among the people, it's got some in some polls up to 70% of Americans approve of it. that means there's a lot of Republicans approving of it, too. I've seen polls that have over 45% of Republicans approving of it. Not a lot of things in America today get over 70% approval it just doesn't happen. Not a lot of things in America today go get over 55% approval. So this bill is very, very popular. Some Republican senators, as we talked about last week, even tried to take some credit for some of the things in it. Okay, we don't let them do that anymore. And frankly, it's going to save a lot of jobs, right? You're going to see teachers and firefighters and cops and nurses not lose their jobs because there's a lot of money in there for state and local governments who are having it really hard during COVID. So people like it. It's going to actually really stimulate the economy over the next two years. It's going to be very hard for anybody to claim that the economy is not doing well in 2022 when they're running in a midterm election. So what are Republicans going to do? Well, they're going to gerrymander and they're going to suppress that's their plan. They're trying to really suppress the vote in Georgia because Senator Warnock has to run again in two years. Senator Ossoff's got six years. Senator Warnock's got two. He's running to fill a seat. So we'll see how successful they are. And we'll see if people like Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema want to go along with this. Or do they want to save democracy. It's a very simple choice if you ask me. Um, they have the opportunity right now, Mansion and Cinema, to save democracy. And it's not saving the Democratic majority. Get that out of your head. If the Democrats screw up, the Democrats will lose. And the Republicans will have a Senate without a filibuster in it. And you know what? I'm okay with that. Elections should have consequences. I have a hard time selling the Democratic agenda was stalled because we need 60 votes and we only had 51. People don't get that. They don't like that. It annoys them. It annoys me. But I think that there's hope, frankly. I don't think that Joe Manchin wants his legacy to be that he allowed the Republicans to block everything when he was chairman of a committee. And I don't think Kristen Cinema wants to see voting rights evaporate in the state of Arizona where she has to run again 
because she cares about some archaic parliamentary rule about the filibuster. By the way, that, you know, I don't know if you listened last week, Barbara Boxer was on. And Barbara Boxer explained that this actually dates back to Aaron Burr. (laughs) Another thing Aaron Burr screwed up. He gave us the filibuster. But if you didn't listen to last week's episode with Barbara Boxer, go go ahead and give it a listen right now. Uh, You know, go give it a listen. It's a great interview. All right. I've got another great interview coming up uh, with my good friend, Jill Weinbanks. Uh, who you're going to love. She's fantastic. Great interview. Listen to it. I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk a little bit about cancel culture one more time. So stick around. Jill Weinbanks is a former special prosecutor during the Watergate, uh, I guess, investigation back in the day. And you see her all the time on MSNBC. She's one of the great legal minds in this country. Jill, how you doing? I'm excellent. It's so nice to talk to you, Chris. It's great to talk to you, too. There's so much stuff going on that I've wanted to talk to you about. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't even know where to start. I don't know if I should start with the insurrection or the Foreign Agents Registration Act stuff that's going on with this report that came out yesterday. Why don't we start there, and then we'll talk about the uh, insurrectionists and everything else and voting rights. and are important issues. Yeah, so, I mean, the the, uh, DOJ or the the intelligence community released their after-action report for the 2020 election, something that uh, became required by them, by Congress, after the 2016 election, uh, to, to talk about foreign uh, interference in the election. And it, it found that Russia and Iran interfered greatly, and, and of course, China, which Bill Barr so uh, celebrates, you know, so, so famously said was the most, the biggest threat to our elections, had no involvement at all in our election. In fact, they sat it out, according to this report. Uh, it, it leads me to the Foreign Agents Registration Act issue because it appears that Rudy Giuliani and other Trump associates were acting as foreign agents during this last election. Well, you can interpret it that way. We ha- I haven't seen enough evidence to say they were foreign agents, witting or unwitting. Right. Um, you know, there's this whole idea of just being a stooge and being an easy target. Yeah, or as they say, a useful idiot. Right. What you're talking about is they clearly were repeating the disinformation that Russia was sending here. Right. And I would say I would hold people responsible for having clearly repeated what they knew were lies. And the reason they, I'm not saying they knew they came from Russia, but they knew there was no evidence to support any of the things that they said. And there will be, I hope, many, uh, actions against Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis for bringing cases to court without any legal substantial basis, without any facts to support it, and that they will be sanctioned uh, and have to pay court costs for the uh, people who were forced to defend against these false accusations. So does that make them a foreign agent? It certainly makes them at least an unwitting dupe of a foreign country. Right. Uh, people you don't want to have be your lawyer or be in your government. But um, I, I'm not jumping to the conclusion that they are actual foreign agents. Right. And I don't know that I would say that they're foreign a- agents either, obviously. But that doesn't mean they shouldn't be looked at closely based on this report and, and their activities and what they did. I mean, quite frankly, even if they were acting unwittingly, they are committing a crime when it comes to espionage and comes to interfering in our election. 
absolutely. Uh, but that's a different question. I certainly agree that they have committed crimes. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of things in America that are, as my friend Joyce Vance would say, awful but not unlawful. And they are definitely, it is clearly awful that they would go on television. And remember, let's, let's also look at the um, lawsuit, the civil lawsuit for defamation that has been brought by one of the companies that had election machines accused of totally flipping our election. Yeah, Dominion. Domin- well, Dominion and Spot- Spotmatic, yep. the other one. Smartmatic um, is the other one. And Smartmatic sued um, Fox, three of its hosts, one of whom has since been fired, and uh, Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani. Eric Swalwell um, has sued the president, but under a different law. Um, in the defamation case, what's happening is they, they sued for the entire revenue, the, the profit of every year at Fox News. Right. That may have an impact on stopping the disinformation. Yeah, I mean, they sued Fox, they sued uh, Newsmax, they sued OAN, and they all of a sudden uh, started putting disclaimers on their on their yeah. commentators. So that may be the best way to stop the lies. And, you know, we can fudge it and call it misinformation, disinformation, but it's lies. And they knew it was lies. They knew they had no evidence of fraud, but they went on and they accused Dominion, they accused Smartmatic, and they accused China <laughs> uh, of being responsible for sorts of things that didn't happen. And so far, the only person who's really being investigated for fraud is Donald Trump in Georgia. Right. So if we're talking about, you know, Foreign Agents Registration Act, we should also talk about what could happen in Georgia. What do you let you let's 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 dive into that for a second here, because that is a case that is has got some legs. Obviously, there's a, a very motivated prosecutor in Georgia and there's lots of tape of the president trying to influence the results of this election after the fact. So where do you think that goes? I mean, this just seems to be, um, you know, it looks open and shut to the, to, you know, to the naked eye, but you're a trained prosecutor. You know, it's never that simple. It, it is never that simple, but this does seem pretty strong. There, there's one thing that, let's point out, has been um, corrected. The original reporting used quote marks around something that a, a source had said, Donald Trump said, in the phone call, the second of the phone calls to be revealed, although it happened first. Sooner, yeah. The, the, the phone call with the investigator rather than with the Secretary of State. And when you look at what the words actually spoken, because now it's been revealed that there is a, a, an actual recording of the conversation, um, the words are slightly different, but they say the same thing. So it really doesn't change whether there's some crime being committed or not. And that the Washington Post was correct to correct it, to say we now have a transcript and these are the words that were actually spoken. That's what a responsible newspaper would do. Right. It doesn't change anything about whether he was committing a crime in making the request he was making of the investigator and then later when that failed of the Secretary of State. He was saying, you know, let's change a number of votes so that I am the winner. Even though winning Georgia wouldn't have made him the winner 
of this election. It's amazing how much pressure he it's amazing when you think of it that way. Right. He put a lot of pressure on Georgia. I guess he thought that if he could flip Georgia, he might be able to flip Arizona and Pennsylvania. I I don't know what his motivation to, to to just be overtly pressuring Georgia like that. I guess he thought, well, they're all Republicans in Georgia. I could I could pressure them. May, I, th- I think that sounds likely. I, I don't, you know, I will never understand the psyche of Donald Trump. So right. I wouldn't ever hope to guess what strategy he had, if any. Did he plan ahead or did he just sort of target a place where, well, these are Republicans, I can talk to them. Um, I, I don't know. And obviously he would have had to flip a lot more places. Um, and yet a lot of people believe him. They simply believe when he says, ignore what you see with your own lying eyes, believe only what I say. Yeah, yeah. Don't believe anything you see or hear. Just believe right. me. And, and I'm, what's amazing to me is not that he said that. It's that there's so many people who they believe that. That's mm-hmm. their that's their religion. It's re, it's this exactly. is this is it's, it's insanity. It's cult like. I don't I don't even know how to describe it other than cult like. Uh, it's a good description. I don't know how else you can either, because, um, and and yet I had a workman in my house preparing my freezer, and he was a Trumper who listened only to Fox News. Right. And when I asked him, well, why are you saying this election was stolen? He says, well, because the president said so. Right. He could say anything. It doesn't make it true. There is no evidence of that. It's amazing to me. That's why it was... court every single time it's gone to court. Every single time. Laughed out of court. Thrown out of court by judges he appointed. That's how bad it was. Exactly. So, I mean, it it is amazing to me. And we're going to come to a point in this country where I hope people see that. But I don't know, Jill. I am uh, skeptical that there's just this portion of this country that doesn't want to believe anything that they don't agree with. Exactly. We are in our own silos, listening to only what we believe. It reinforces us, and people aren't listening. I mean, I listen to Fox News. I want to know what they're saying so that I could be able to answer any issues. And I go on there to try to I go on there to try to pierce that bubble a little bit. We were talking about the lawsuits, Jill, uh, and and I know you share my frustration as an attorney. There, there are so many cases that I think if if you or I had brought them in a regular court, not as you know celebrities or representing the president, we would be thrown out of court and we would have sanctions and maybe have our license removed. Right. And I don't think people understand. Um, it, lawyers know the risk, but I don't think the general public understands that lawyers are encouraged to try to stretch the law and to bring a case, you know, where they think there is a legitimate claim on behalf of a client, but they are not allowed to bring cases where there is not a shred of evidence to support it and where there's no legal basis for filing it. And I would say, based on the short shrift that was given to the lawsuits filed by Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, and Rudy Giuliani, and how they were all thrown out as being totally frivolous and meritless. Yeah. That those are cases that deserve to have sanctions imposed, which means that the lawyers and their client may have to pay the legal fees for the people they sued, may have to pay court costs, and could even potentially be disbarred or suspended from the practice of law for having done so. You can't waste court 
court time in cases that have no chance of prevailing. It's, it's just wrong. Yeah, and you can't lie either in court. Oh, that's also true. Right? I mean, you can't just make things up. I mean, it's one thing to go on TV or stand at a rally in front of a bunch of seditionists and lie. It's another thing to stand before a judge and lie. You're just not allowed to do that as an attorney. It's like the first thing they teach you in law school. They're like, okay, from here on out, you're not allowed to lie when you walk through the doors of a court. Yeah, it's it's true. As an officer of the court, you cannot do that. And we know that that happened frequently, and that's simply wrong. And, and But I would say there are some consequences for lying to the public, um, particularly when the lie causes some financial harm to the person. Yep. That's what these uh, defamation suits are that could change how disinformation is uh, forwarded on various media sites. Uh, Fox is going to be a lot more careful about allowing someone to come on and repeating those lies. Not on opinion shows. That's different. These are on news shows. You can't say it's news that X happened when X never happened. Right. Right. Well, well, hopefully it does change. Look, ever since the fairness doctrine has been thrown out, there seems to be an audience for misinformation where people could just go and make things up, whether it be on the radio. One of the reasons why, you know, I I do radio is because I'm trying to penetrate that conservative radio bubble where people are just lied to all day. And I try to tell them the truth for at least two hours a week. And uh, it's 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 mind boggling some of the lies you see in in, in right wing media. Yes, um, I, I think it's one of the most important things we have to stop is the lies and the disinformation, the deliberate perpetuation of falsehoods, because it's leading to people making decisions on, for example, who to vote for, um, and many other things that are important in American democracy that are based on totally total misinformation, total lies. Yeah. And you can't run a democracy unless the facts are. You know, it, it, the whole thing about the First Amendment was in the marketplace of ideas, the truth will come out. But if you only listen to one of the speakers in a debate, yeah. the truth doesn't come out. Right. You never We're get the truth. We're not having a debate anymore. We're having people listen to Fox and hear point one. We're having people listen to MSNBC, and they hear point two. And there doesn't seem to be a meeting anywhere in between. So how do you get to the truth? You don't. I think that's the problem. I mean, there are, there are you know, at least 73 million Americans that do not hear the truth. I don't, I don't know how any single person on this planet that's not an immediate family member could have voted for the former guy based on his record and based on how he performed as president. But they had a different version of reality than the 84 million Americans that voted for Joe Biden. Exactly. Exactly. And, and if you try to have a conversation with your neighbor who might have voted for the other candidate, it's impossible because they're arguing off of a set of facts that we cannot agree on. Because, you know, there's an old saying for trial lawyers you know, when you present a case, no matter how thin the pancake, it has two sides. Yeah. Well, in some cases, that's not true because there is only one set of facts. And alternative facts, as they have been named, are lies. Yeah, they aren't facts. It's yeah. not an alternative. There are alternative policies that might stem from an agreement about the facts, but it doesn't change the facts. 
Truth is truth. I miss the days when we all agreed on the facts. Yeah. And then we debated on how to deal with the facts. Exactly. Now we debate the facts, and it drives me insane. I I am so with you on that. I I really, people don't, you know, younger people do not know about that era. But remember, it was Republicans who went to Richard Nixon and said, we've seen the facts, and we will vote to convict you. Now you have Republicans who say, we see the facts, and we don't care. Yeah, we don't care because our base hasn't seen those facts. Exactly. And they don't care about things they don't know about. So why should we care about things we don't know about? In fact, we're going to double down on the conspiracy theory that that guy is bringing out. Yep, exactly. It's, it's, it's just, I mean, you having lived through Watergate and saw people stand up to the leader of their own party had to be one of the most frustrated people in America the last four years. I mean, you must have been. It's, it is very disheartening because I don't have an answer on how to make people see the truth. You can't force people to listen to MSNBC or NBC if they only want to listen to Fox. Right. And that's the problem. In, in, you know, there used to be a rule of um, fairness. Fairness. Yeah. You used to have to give equal time. And that doesn't exist anymore. It was considered to be a violation of First Amendment rights of broadcasters. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's sad. It's scary. I have people that know me, people who I'm friends with. You know, they know I, I, I got my start in my career working for Senator Chuck Schumer. It's how I am who I am today. And, and I see these people posting things on social media about Democrats. All Democrats are X, Y, and Z. And I reply to them. I go, Dude, you've known me since I was, you know, 10 years old. You don't, you think that I'm a, a pedophile? You think that I would support a, you think I would support a government or a political party that was uh, trying to exploit children? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like, uh, where, where are you? Where, and what do they say? They're like, oh no, not you, not you. You know, we're talking about like Nancy Pelosi. I'm like, I've met Nancy Pelosi a bunch of times. I know her daughter pretty well. Uh, I, I know they're not that. And I'm telling you that. And I know them. Right. And they, they'll fight with me. They're like, well, no, you don't know them. Like, I know them. I know them personally. It drives me nuts. Well, I, I, I would love to be able to have a conversation that was based on information and facts and with people who have a different view of those facts. Yeah. I'd like to hear where those facts come from. If you say that there's fraud in the election, that it was stolen, then I need to see what backs that up. I hear you. And I keep I keep saying these people have been wrong so many times, even in the last couple of weeks. Why do you keep believing them? Jill, so uh, first of all, before we get back into the subject, I saw your Russia pin yesterday uh, for Russian Ron and uh, all the other stuff going on with Putin and Biden and everything else. So uh, are you wearing that pin today or are we going to have to wear that pin every day? I might have to start wearing it more often because it's certainly back in the news, but I was actually wearing it because I have two podcasts myself, one of which is an interview format called Intergenerational Politics, and Victor Xi, who is an 18-year-old, and I do this interview together, and we interviewed Fiona Hill about Russia. Wow. So while we were interviewing her, I was wearing my Russia skyline pins. Nice. I mean, you can clearly see the onion domes and colors of, of Russia in my pins. I, I'm waiting for Fiona Hill's book because something tells me that that woman has done some stuff. <laughs> you know? She has another one coming out 
Um, she does have one about Putin that is already out, which we talked to her about in the podcast. But she has one. I'm trying to remember the exact date when it's coming out. It's it's a while off yet. It's not till summer or or fall. Um, and she's a very interesting um, guest. She was terrific to interview. Well, well, if you ever need a Gen Xer for that intergenerational podcast, yes. I am a Gen Xer. There, okay. you know, we don't get any attention at all anymore. It's all about baby boomers and millennials, and Gen X is just hanging out, saying, "Yeah, what about us? Uh, you know, remember us? The '90s, Nirvana, grunge." <laughs> so, yeah. Anybody? Uh, not even a. He's younger than that because we met when he was 17, and we were both candidates to be delegates for Joe Biden. Oh wow! And of course, we only met virtually because it was during COVID. Uh, but we have. During the summer, we did meet outdoors at the farmer's market. Nice, nice. My wife was a delegate for Joe Biden. Oh, good. Excellent. <laughs> so, lady. Yes, and she's an elected official here in New York. So uh, so let's get back to this here. Uh, we talk about Cuomo then? Oh, yeah, I want to talk about that. <laughs> Not right now. Uh, but I do want to talk about... Um, you know, I do want to talk about all of these voting rights bills being passed around the country by Republicans, or at least being proposed... And now, you know, we look at the Senate and I have been writing extensively about the filibuster uh, and the need to get rid of it. I had Barbara Boxer on last week and she talked about the history of the filibuster, uh, which, you know, to no one's surprise, was started by a guy named Aaron Burr, who screwed up a lot of things in this country. <laughs> uh, so, yes. you know, uh, you know, what do you you know, you see where this is going, right? Republicans can't compete on the field of ideas. They're just a cult at this point. They're trying to suppress the vote to just hold on to any power they have, or at least even regain power in the Senate. Do you think that there is a legal solution to this or, 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 or do we have to get rid of the filibuster and move forward? I think at the minimum, honestly, that we have to at least amend the rules of the filibuster. The filibuster is not part of the constitution. It is a fairly recent addition to our, the rules of the Senate. And it has recently been amended to make it what it is today. And the threats that I am hearing from Mitch McConnell, if you change the filibuster, you're going to really be sorry. Well, we're going to be really sorry if we don't. Right. Because the Republicans will, when they take control, they'll do it for their own purposes. And they already did. They showed us that they would. They did it for the Supreme Court. They didn't want to, you know, they, they use it for whatever they can use it for. Exactly. So why wouldn't they do it again if things get bad? And in the meantime, we will be in a situation of total gridlock again. And the American people deserve to have laws considered on their merits and voted up or down. And we live in a democracy where 51 votes in the Senate passes a bill, not 60. Right. We never asked for a supermajority. The filibuster, I, I don't, I'm sure Barbara Boxer knows more and said better than I will, but my understanding is it was to give the minority an opportunity to be heard. It meant that they could speak on the floor of the Senate and make arguments for why they had a better way to approach things than the majority was about to pass. Right. But that's not how it's used now. No. Now people say, hey, clerk, you read the newspaper to us, and nobody has to be on the floor. We don't have to listen. We don't have to debate the merits of anything. We don't have to talk about what our position is. They should have to talk. Not only should they have to talk, 
Jill, they should have to talk on a topic that's germane to the bill. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They have to argue the position about why they should have a vote in favor of whatever it is they want or against whatever it is they're against. But they shouldn't be able to just talk nonsense, and they shouldn't be able to have a clerk read the statute. They should have to debate the reasons for voting for or against it. And that isn't such a big change, and it shouldn't scare anybody to say, if you don't have something to say, and if you can't persuade people, and it shouldn't take 60 people to change, you know, to, to end the debate, once you've run out of things to say, the debate is over, and you vote, and 51 votes is all it takes to pass the law. And that makes sense to me. I, I was very happy to see that Biden seems to be moving toward that direction, and it's, unfortunately, it's a reality. And yes, if the Republicans become the majority, even you know, on a 50-50 with a Republican president, or if they end up with 51 senators in the next term, they will use that same absence of a, a ridiculous filibuster to do whatever they want. Right. Well, look, elections have consequences, right? Exactly. If we change the filibuster and we pass laws that the nation find unpopular, they will vote Democrats out. And that's the consequence. And Republicans will come in and they will pass laws. And if they are not popular, the American people will vote them out. The problem I have and the biggest problem I have, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is that Republicans are trying to pass laws right now at the state level that will block people's ability to vote, block people's ability to throw the bums out, if you will. So Democrats, you know, they have an interest in making sure that as many people can vote as easily as possible. And the Republicans, they don't like that, and they're going to filibuster it because, you know, that's the only way they have any any chance of getting power back, it appears. Right. And and the funny thing is, they're making an argument, They, the Republicans, are making an argument that is on its face, something that no American, Republican or Democrat or Independent, should ever support, which is they are saying out loud, we want to stop people from voting because we can't win if too many people vote. And that's not what a democracy is. You're right. We have to have people able to vote. It's not even changing their vote, not changing their mind on policy. It's just saying we don't want to have early voting. We don't want to have lock boxes where you can put the. Bank. They don't want to have access. Jill, I'm out of time. You know, you know, you're one of my favorite guests because you have a lot to say and we'll have you back again real soon. I hope you enjoyed that interview. She's fantastic. Check her out. I'm sure you already have. I mean, look, if you're listening to me, you knew who Jill Weinbanks was, I hope. And hey, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And I really do appreciate all the follows the last uh, last couple of weeks. Things have really improved for me, so I really do appreciate that. People pay attention to it, I guess. That's why, you know, I mean, I've always done it. I've enjoyed it. I, I like the interaction with people. Um, it's been a little weird lately. Uh, when I first started, uh, you know, people who watch Fox wanted to have a good debate about an issue. Now I'm just a communist who goes on Fox. I'm a communist who's better at capitalism than most of them, but you know, (laughs) it's what it is. We got to get out of this vicious cycle, right? It's horrible. The other vicious cycle I'm starting to really be concerned about is cancel culture. So a woman who became editor at Teen Vogue, Alexi McCammond, 
had to leave that job because of something she tweeted when she was in high school. I'm sorry. That's too far. Look, America. I don't want anybody to be hurt. I don't want anybody to say anything that hurts anybody. I don't want people to intentionally go out of their way to make fun of people because of, you know, who they love, what abilities they may have, their race, of course, their gender, their ethnicity, how they talk. But there's got to be some ability to measure a person for all that they are than for something they may have said years ago or even something they may have said recently, depending on what that is. I I talked a little about this last week. Um, Sarah Silverman, you know, called it righteousness porn. Everybody trying to talk about how they know better, they did better. People, this is a hard thing for most Americans to grasp. This, like, why would anybody be fired from a job when they are in their mid to really late 20s? She's 27 years old now. She had an excellent career as a journalist. She got this prestigious position, one of the few, you know, magazines that's still making it. And she's got to resign because of something she tweeted when she was in high school. Now, don't get me started about the leadership at Condé Nast. I think it's Condé Nast, Teen Vogue, whoever owns Teen Vogue. That's, look, they should have been like, look, we we are looking at the total person, who she was when she was 17 isn't who she is at 27. You know how different people are in those 10 years? Now, if you're 17 years old and you're listening to me right now, you might think, well, I am who I am going to be. I tell you right now, having known from experience, you most certainly are not. I am not who I was 10 years ago. And I wasn't 17 10 years ago. <laughs> we grow. We evolve. We learn. So, I, I mean, that to me is a bridge too far. And I think we need to start figuring out, you know, we need to start learning who is intentionally trying to hurt people and hold people back and hold people down. And who may have said something stupid at some point in their life? Because look, especially people my age, I didn't have Twitter until 10 years ago, right? I didn't have Twitter when I was a teenager. Nobody had a smartphone taking pictures of me when I was a teenager. My every thought was not public record when I was a teenager. Unfortunately for Alexi McManon, hers were. I do not want to judge her by who she was when she was 17. Just as I don't want anybody to judge me by who I was when I was 17. Hell, I don't want anybody to judge me about who who I was when I was 30, let alone 17. I don't want really, I really don't want you to judge me for anything up other than what I'm doing now, if possible. I mean, we've really grown as a society. We've paid more attention to who we may be hurting by our words. 
But who was she actually, what did she actually do? What actions as an adult did she take to hurt people, to hold people back? What is the intent? What is the totality of her person? Did she grow? Is she still using the language she used when she was 17? Didn't appear to be that way to me looking at her record because I didn't go back and look at her tweets from when she was 17. So we we have issues here. And, and again, I'm not going to say that we should use this as a way to not be politically correct all the time. I, and again, I, I know political correctness has some negative connotations. But, you know, we can't just be out there to get people and to win the woke Olympics every day. You'll find it with everybody. You'll find it in yourself, frankly. People out there who are, you know, constantly judging, experience right, experiencing righteousness porn, constant, constant judgment of others, even people who are trying to do the right thing, who are good people, who shouldn't be brought down for nothing, for things they did years ago. What's the statutes of limitation on a tweet? What is it? I mean, is it forever because it's written? I mean, a tweet's not etched in stone. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm putting all this work into Twitter to try to get my following up because I'm told by my management that I need to pay attention to it. And I like it. I like the interaction. I like to interact with people like that. It's good, but I'm really pushing it now in a way I never had before. And I'm thinking, I'm putting all this work in, creating this content that I don't get paid for on Twitter. What if Twitter decides one day that it's going to shut down? I will, you know, I assume, you know, by the end of the year, I'll, I'll have a very, respe- I have a very respectable following now, but by the end of the year, maybe it'll be, you know, what I should have for a guy who's been on TV as much as I have. Okay. And he's been on the radio as long as I have. But what if they just say, you know what, I'm going to shut down. So do we forgive Alexi McMahon, McMahon for the tweet she did in high school if Twitter decides to shut down? For no reason other than they're not making enough money and, you know, they could sell off their component parts to somebody else. They become a subsidiary of Facebook or something. Like, does she not count? Does it not count anymore? All that work I put in will be for nothing. Just think about it. I I just want you to think. Think about, especially my older listeners, and I know I have a broad spectrum of listeners from, you know, very young teenagers, probably are getting very offended by some of this, and and to people my own age and older. I am sure people my age, we weren't as woke in the 80s and 90s as they are today, wouldn't want things that they said and did as teenagers to come back and haunt them as adults. I'm raising a very woke teenager. It's starting to scare me a little bit, frankly. Very socially conscious. conscious, and, and, and I love that. And I love that about today's youth. I love that they are socially conscious. I love that they are trying to protect all of us. But the destruction of people, for sometimes, you know, from what I'm seeing from this woman it's an offense that should not have come back to bite her at all. And she apologized for it. 
She disavowed that language. It wasn't like she tried to say, no, it doesn't matter. No, she actively apologized and disavowed the language. And she's still gone. Yeah, it's bad language. She doesn't use that language anymore. She's an adult now. We got to stop pretending that we always were so conscious. We always knew. And I know for some of you, it's hard because you were playing with dolls and then the next day you're politically active. I have one of them, okay? I have a teenage girl who I still look at as, hey, you know, you want to go get some ice cream? And she's telling me how she's going to change the world. And I love that. (laughs) I really do. Some of us didn't go that step though. Some of us had a step in between where we were just dumb kids. Clearly, Alexi McManon had a step like that. Like almost everybody. Like almost everybody. Even today. So let's just love each other. It's chaos. Be kind. I say it every day. You know, if people, if people's intentions are good, let's acknowledge those intentions. If who they are, if who they have become and evolved and grown into are good people, let's acknowledge that growth. Let's acknowledge it before we like burn them down because of something they did 10 years ago. All right. You've all had enough of me for one day. Thanks again for your support with this podcast. And I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.